Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. Amen. Well, we're in a series uh, going through the book of John, and today, John chapter 6. I'm going to start with a quick recap. Uh, So there were a crowd of people who'd come to listen to Jesus, and they were hungry, and there was no food court and no fast food chains in sight. So Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. And then he goes across the Lake Galilee with the disciples in the evening, and the crowd follows to the other side of the lake in search of more food. In John 6 verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And in verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So we pick up today in John chapter 6 and verse 41 onwards, and it says, the Jews there began to grumble about him. So all the way through John 6, we hear about people, we hear about crowds, but this is the first time uh, that we get the definition of who the people were. The Jews began to grumble. And they didn't like it that Jesus said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. And so they grumbled. God's people have a history of grumbling in the wilderness. Through the Old Testament, we see them grumbling about the water they had to drink. They grumbled at their lack of bread. They grumbled at their lack of water, at the hardships in the desert, at the difficulties in occupying the promised land. They grumbled at the manna their daily bread given from heaven to feed them. I wonder if anyone in church has ever found themselves grumbling. I'm sure it doesn't happen here. But now and again, we as Christians find ourselves grumbling. If that grumbling in the Old Testament is a rejection of God, so the grumbling here is a rejection of Jesus by the Jews. The issue seems to be specifically about the incarnation. That is, that God came down in the person of Jesus from heaven to earth. It's not that Jesus is bread that they're grumbling about. It's the down-to-earth bit. And one of the issues they point out, and it's a very human thing, and I don't blame them for pointing out in verse 42, is that they know Jesus They know his mum and dad, or at least they think they do. They said, verse 42, Is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Well, for us as readers of John's Gospel today, we know that Jesus is the Logos, the Word made flesh from the prologue at the start of John's Gospel. We know that Joseph stepped into the role of father on earth, but they didn't know that. And so we can't blame them for asking the question of Jesus. How can he now say he came down from heaven? Jesus tells them to stop grumbling, but not like we would. 
I wonder if you have ever tried to stop somebody from grumbling. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a parent or a child. Maybe you have the joy of working with people in a customer service role. And you found yourself in a situation when you have to stop someone grumbling. I once worked in a railway station uh, back in Birmingham in England. And so my job was to deal with people when they were angry and their train had been cancelled or they were delayed and I was responsible to listen to their grumbling. And it's incredibly hard when the train has gone and they've missed it to turn that frown into a smile. When we hear someone grumbling, we may want to say something back that perhaps is short-tempered, maybe a passive-aggressive comment, or a straight-out, can you just shut up and stop moaning? But Jesus doesn't seem to be phased by their grumbling. For Jesus, it's like water off a duck's back. His words in response encourage them instead to have faith. So the antidote to grumbling is faith. The antidote to grumbling is faith. Increasing faith. Jesus reminds them and us that he is the way to eternal life. Verse 43 says, I will raise them up on the last day. And that eternal life Jesus speaks about starts now. It's not just something for a far off time. Eternal life, the kingdom of God, is for now when we know and love Jesus. He goes on in verse 45 to quote the prophets. Uh, specifically, it's Isaiah uh, and it's 54 um, verse 13. And he says that everyone who has heard the Father has learned from him and comes to me. In other words, people listen to the Father, our Heavenly Father, by listening to the Son. They learn from the Father by learning from the Son. And this is important because Jesus is the only one who has seen the Father. As verse 46 says, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And so it's belief in Jesus that leads us to eternal life. And when we let that sink in from our head to our heart, it's impossible to grumble. If we know that we have eternal life with Jesus that starts now, how can we go on grumbling? The reality is it's easier said than done. It's easy to forget the faith and the hope that we have. We may be assured of our salvation when we're watching a service online or when we're in church. But in a few moments, when we get behind the wheel of our car or our truck, it can be like the faith drains out of our fingertips and we start to grumble again. Perhaps we grumble about the way other people drive. Actually, being a pastor, I've worked on this a lot. 
Uh, and I'm trying not to grumble about the way people drive. Uh, but what I've done, uh, before you think, well, it's all right for you being holier than thou, David, but what I find myself doing is I end up grumbling not about the way people drive, but about the way the road system has been designed. I'll be driving along grumbling about the lanes merging from one to another. I'll be grumbling about the fact that if they had two lights at this intersection instead of one, the traffic could move round faster. I'll be grumbling about the fact I've got to wait because it's one of those delayed left-hand turns. I don't mean to do it. I don't get in the car, I'm going to go and grumble today on my drive wherever I'm going. I would suggest it's not any of our intentions to grumble, but on our worst day, it's our human nature. It could be in the grocery store, at the lineup. It could be the commercials that interrupt the game you're watching on television. The cares of the world can have a habit of obstructing our view of eternity. And so how can we make sure we don't grumble? Well, Jesus tried to encourage them to grow in faith. Instead of grumbling, he led them to faith. So for us, some practical ways, maybe if it's in the car, you might want to turn on, if you don't already, some Christian music. Uh, I listen to Praise 106.5 in the car, um, and that's one thing you can do. Maybe if you're on social media, you can make sure you're following some, uh, some, some people who are Christians uh, so that you get some Bible content. I'm sure you already follow Ridge Church, uh, but follow some uh, good content so that uh, in the midst of whatever you're doing online, you're seeing uh, Bible verses, worship songs, ways of encouraging you. Uh, maybe you read the Bible every day. I know a number of people are doing the Bible in a year program. That is fantastic. Uh, and it's a great way to either set you up for the day or to stop at some point in the day and refocus on the word. Whatever it is for you, it's finding ways to turn our grumbling into faith. Because as we focus on Jesus... As we focus on faith, we're less likely to have time and space in our day to grumble. So from grumbling to faith, and then from heaven to earth. At this point in our passage today, we're John 6, 48. Um, it gives a recap of what Jonathan said last week. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the beauty of bread and of Jesus claiming to be living bread Bread personified in him is that it's one of the most common foods. 
whether you're gluten-free or dairy-free or following some sort of keto diet, there's probably some bread in some form or other that features on your plate at least once a day. And it's a reminder for us each time we eat that true life is found in Jesus. When the Bible uses the word to describe living bread, the image I have is of really great, fresh-tasting bread that's just been baked as contrasted with the bread that's been sat on the counter for a few days. I was in the store just a few days ago, uh, and I was buying some bread. Um, and uh, I wanted to buy some of the, the buns um, at the bakery. Um, and there were only three left. Um, and they looked fine, but I brought them and I got them home, and I found they were crusty, and nobody in the house wanted to eat them. It's like when the Bible talks about living water, You only have to taste the difference between the water from a mountain stream and the water from a well to know that the mountain spring water is so much better. I know that's a dangerous thing to say because uh, somebody will probably approach me and tell me that their well water tastes fantastic, so sorry if that offended you. But eating bread in verse 50 is a metaphor. To eat the bread is to believe in Jesus. To eat the bread is to believe in Jesus. And as the passage carries on, we get in uh, to a, a deeper and deeper metaphor. We see it becoming more stark. And as Jesus is speaking to the Jewish crowd, We see the people hearing Jesus' words and getting progressively more agitated. But if you think about it, we use eating metaphors all the time. One commentator puts it like this. We devour books. We drink in a lecture. We swallow a story. We may ruminate on an idea or a poem. Ruminate meaning to chew the cud. Uh, like a cow does. We chew over a matter. Sometimes we have to eat our own words. Maybe you, like me, have heard a grandmother or two saying that they could eat up their grandchildren. Jesus is the bread of life that gives life. The bread that came down from heaven was incarnate, was made flesh was made man, who offered himself upon the cross as a sacrifice once for all, so that anyone who eats this bread will not die. And this bread is given as a gift for the life of the world. That offer is there for you and for me, and it's good, it's good, it's good to be reminded, week by week, to be reminded of the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And yet it's easy for us to forget the good news just as much as we can forget how much uh, the eating of bread is important for us. I once uh, heard an Anglican bishop speaking about evangelism. Uh, Just take a moment to think about that, an Anglican bishop on evangelism. 
he was speaking about evangelism and he said, I've come to the realization that I need to be re-evangelized every so often. And he said he thought that was about once every three months. And I think he makes a good point. We need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus. In the words of verse 51, who says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which is given for the life of the world. So at this point in the passage, it's no longer the Father who is giving us the bread. It's Jesus himself who's giving us the bread. It's his flesh. The Greek word here is uh, the word sarx, uh, which we translate flesh. And it's distinct from the word which would be translated um, body, uh, which comes up in scriptures about Holy Communion. And I'll mention a bit more about that later. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. These words speak of Jesus' death on the cross. And back in John 1.14, in the prologue at the start of John's gospel, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the bread of life. The word made flesh come down from heaven to earth to be our savior. We can make statements like that. And Christians become quite comfortable with the language of eating flesh because we're used to hearing it. And yet those who are not as familiar with this world-changing metaphor as we are, I think we have to admit it could sound crazy. The Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. The bread, Jesus, who says we're to eat his flesh. He is using this as a metaphor. We are to believe in him. I wonder what you're thinking today, where you are with your faith in Jesus, whether you need to repent and return to the Lord again, or whether it's for the first time you want to say yes to Jesus, the bread of life. I think some of us, I heard someone else use this illustration, some of us it's like we have a check and, and we've got the check, but we haven't taken the step of putting the check in the bank and cashing it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Do we believe? Are we ready? Are we ready again to take a step towards Jesus? And so... Jesus takes us from death to life. In verse 52, uh, for the Jews who Jesus was speaking to, uh, they began to argue sharply to themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It sounds like as they heard Jesus say this, that, he, that we're to eat his flesh. 
There were some arguments going on. Some of them perhaps wanted to accept exactly what Jesus said. Others of them didn't and thought the idea uh, taken literally sounded ridiculous. And they found it even repulsive. Jesus sees them arguing. And interestingly, rather than kind of calming them down, Jesus pushes the analogy even further. And so in John 6.53, Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, we've got that bit already, takes it further, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You may know this already, but the the solemn introduction, uh, very truly I tell you, uh, is used in the gospel when there is a a serious statement about to come. Um, In the King James Version, it was verily, verily I say unto thee, and the NIV translates it very truly I tell you. Uh, It's almost like I'm about to say something really important, so sit down and listen carefully. Very truly I tell you. And so to the concept already repulsive to the hearers of eating flesh, Jesus adds, drinking his blood. If his hearers were repulsed at the first one, now it's just escalated to a whole new level. And knowing that he's talking to a Jewish crowd, of course, Leviticus 17 forbids the drinking of blood. And so here we have Jesus saying, unless you take part in this thing, which A, sounds disgusting, and B, breaks the Old Testament law, you will not inherit eternal life with God the Father. Wow. He switches then. Having come at this from a kind of a negative angle, he then looks to the positive tone in verse 54 and says, but if you do eat the bread and drink the blood then you have eternal life. Uh, So this could cause some confusion. uh, As we think about how we interpret the Bible and and, uh, what the the hermeneutic is, the way of interpretation that we we have for the Bible, uh, verse 55 could cause a bit of confusion. It seems at first glance, uh, if you hadn't read the entirety of the chapter and you didn't know the context, it seems this is about communion. Uh, but actually, it's not. Um, it is a metaphor. A metaphor, really, that is about the cross. In uh, John 6, verse 40, just before today's passage, uh, it's when we look to the Son and believe in him that we have faith, uh, that we have eternal life. And the look and believe there is now changed to eating and drinking. So it's two different metaphors to describe the same thing. Look and believe becomes eating and drinking. One commentator says, when this metaphor is unpacked, it means that Jesus is the source of true satisfaction. Belief in him who gave his life for the world is the only way to satisfy human hunger and thirst for God. Verse 40, put it simply, look to Jesus and believe. And then by verse 55, he's developed his metaphor into my flesh is real food and my body is real drink. In some churches through the ages, 
These are the verses from which they get the idea uh, that in a communion service, the, the bread and the wine becomes actual body and blood. Uh, the word used is transubstantiation. Uh, it's a belief uh, that was around, and then when the Reformation happened, um, in the 1500s, there was a shift away from, from that theology of saying communion is really Christ's body and blood we are actually eating to it being about remembering. The emphasis shifted to the understanding uh, that in communion we remember Christ's sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. It was a big issue at the time in the Anglican church for the English uh, reformers. Thomas Cranmer in the 39 articles of religion, and this is back in 1571, I'm sure you know it well, um, he said this, the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper in a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the Holy Communion, in the Lord's Supper, is faith. And so it's all about faith in Jesus. The whole passage really is deeply Christological. That is to say, it's all about the identity of Jesus Christ. And an assurance that as we believe and trust in Jesus, or with the metaphor, eat the, the bread and drink the blood, we can trust in Jesus as our saviour. Uh, the first church I worked for had a school near to it, and I would have to go in and do assemblies in the school where the children were gathered at the start of the day. And it was elementary school, and there were the younger kids and the older ones. And so I'd have between 250 and 480 children to talk to. And, and uh, they would sit uh, in the, the school hall um, uh, on, the, on the floor, and they would be sitting there cross-legged, um, and uh, one of the ways I would use to uh, engage them, uh, and I won't try it in church, uh, but one of the ways was to ask a question and then see who would raise their hand uh, and then see if they knew the answer. And it didn't matter what the question was going to be. Every time I asked the question, a number of children would suddenly, from crossing their legs and slouching, they'd put their backs up straight, they'd reach their hands in the sky, they sometimes lift themselves a bit off the floor because they were so desperate to be picked, to be the first one to answer the question. And so then I'd pick someone, uh, didn't matter what the question was that I asked, whatever the question, the first person would always say, is the answer Jesus? Is the answer Jesus? And sometimes the answer was Jesus, it wasn't always. But as complicated as we can make the Christian faith, as deep as we can dive into theology, we can always come back to the start. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. 
uh, there's a credit card company that had an advertisement. It went, the answer is yes, now what's the question? If the church did the same, it would be the answer is Jesus. Now what's the question? Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. The word for remain in the Greek is meno, which can be translated in different ways. It can be translated to abide in or to stay in. And later in John's gospel, it's chapter 15, uh, when Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. And he says, to be a disciple, we need to remain in him, to abide in him, to stay in him, so that he can remain in us, stay in us, abide in us. Jesus says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus invites us from death to life. He is the life-giving bread, the bread that will never run out. The bread is Jesus. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus, who in John 10.10 says, I've come that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. And so every time, we eat bread and drink the fruit of the vine, we can remember that Jesus is the bread of life, that his blood was poured out for all. The last uh, verse I have today, verse 59, um, it just says, he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So uh, this is just a, a final verse for us that denotes that the passage uh, all the way through, Jesus has been moving about to different places and it just helps us locate it in a historical time and place and context. He was in the synagogue. He was teaching the Jewish people. And so, to summarize, Jesus redirects from grumbling to faith. When we find ourselves grumbling, how can we turn to increase our faith day by day? Jesus is the bread of life who comes from heaven to earth so that we might have abundant life, life in all its fullness. Jesus takes us from death to life. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus promises us eternal life with him. Eternal life that isn't some far-off concept that starts now as we have a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray as we finish. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word. 
We thank you for the faith that you shared with people and the faith that you give to us now. We thank you that you are the bread of heaven who gives life to the world. We thank you that you died on the cross for us. Flesh that was broken, blood poured out, so that through your death and sacrifice on the cross, we can have life for eternity. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have fallen away or turned away from you. Help us to live today, tomorrow, and this week, putting our faith into practice and knowing the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. And so a prayer of blessing as we go. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home, rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again in through our doors. And the blessing of God, Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you, remain with you, and those you love and pray for this day and evermore. Amen. So go forth in peace to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.